and welcome back to the AK-47 podcast, 47 selections from the works of Alexandra Kolontai. My name is Kristen Godsey. I'm the author of Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence. And in today's episode, I'm going to try to finish this essay. Uh, We have a bit of text left, and this is the part of Make Way for Winged Eros that really dives into Alexandra Kolontai's views about the kind of sexuality she believes should emerge under a socialist state. And I think it's really important to understand that this is a very normative essay. She is laying out a vision that I think many people today might find very controversial for all sorts of reasons. Obviously, conservatives will hate her because she is challenging the basis of the bourgeois monogamous nuclear family. But I also think that a lot of sex-positive people will take issue with her idea that sexuality should be harnessed in the name of building a more just, equitable, and sustainable future in terms of socialism. So I'm going to just dive right in to the essay. I think this last part is really key, so I'm going to try to spend a fair bit of time just reading very carefully and closely her words. And then if I don't have enough time in this episode, the next episode will be basically doing the deconstruction of what this actually means and how it's relevant to our lives in 2019. At the tribal stage, love was seen as a kinship attachment, love between sisters and brothers, love for partners. The ancient culture of the pre-Christian period placed love friendship above all else. The feudal world idealized platonic courtly love between members of the opposite sex outside marriage. The bourgeoisie took monogamous marital love as its ideal. The working class derives its ideal from the labor, cooperation, and inner solidarity that binds the men and women of the proletariat together. The form and content of this ideal naturally differs from the conception of love that existed in other cultural epochs. The advocacy of love comradeship in no way implies that in the militant atmosphere of its struggle for the dictatorship of the proletariat, the working class has adopted a straitjacket ideology and is mercilessly trying to remove all traces of tender emotion from relations between the sexes. The ideology of the working class does not seek to destroy winged arrows, but on the contrary, to clear the way for the recognition of the value of love as a psychological and social force. The hypocritical morality of bourgeois culture resolutely restricted the freedom of Eros, obliging him only to visit the legally married couple. Outside marriage, there was room only for the wingless Eros of momentary and joyless sexual relations which were bought in the case of prostitution or stolen in the case of adultery. The morality of the working class, on the other hand, insofar as it has already been formulated, definitely rejects the external forms of sexual relations. The social aims of the working class are not affected one bit by whether love takes the form of a long and official union or is expressed in a temporary relationship. The ideology of the working class does not place any formal limits on love. But at the same time, the ideology of the working class is already beginning to take a thoughtful attitude to the content of love and shades of emotional experience. In this sense, the proletarian ideology will persecute wingless eros in a much more strict and severe way than bourgeois morality. 
Wingless arrows contradicts the interests of the working class. In the first place, it inevitably involves excesses and therefore physical exhaustion, which lower the resources of labor energy available to society. In the second place, it impoverishes the soul, hindering the development and strengthening of inner bonds and positive emotions. And in the third place, it usually rests on an inequality of rights in relations between the sexes, on the dependence of the woman on the man, and on male complacency and insensitivity, which undoubtedly hinder the development of comradely feelings. Winged Eros is quite different. So I said I wasn't going to do very much commentary, but I actually just have to stop there for a second, because this is the first time that Alexandra Kolontai actually mentions the fact that equality between the sexes is an ideal of socialism, and therefore wingless eros is something that actually perpetuates this inequality between men and women, and she really wants to address this inequality head on. I also think it's really funny that she thinks that if people are just having sex all the time outside of the confines of true love and mutual attraction, if it's basically just a kind of sexual free-for-all, people will be really tired and they won't have any energy left to do work to help build the socialist future. So she's obviously here not talking about a kind of unbridled promiscuity, which is what many of her detractors usually credit her with. Okay, now back to the essay. Obviously, sexual attraction lies at the base of winged eros, too, but the difference is that the person experiencing love acquires the inner qualities necessary to the builders of a new culture, sensitivity, responsiveness, and the desire to help others. Bourgeois ideology demanded that a person should only display such qualities in their relationships with one partner. The aim of proletarian ideology is that men and women should develop these qualities not only in relation to the chosen one, but in relation to all members of the collective. The proletarian class is not concerned as to which shades and nuances of feeling predominate in winged eros. The only stipulation is that these emotions facilitate the development and strengthening of comradeship. The ideal of love-comradeship, which is being forged by proletarian ideology to replace the all-embracing and exclusive marital love of bourgeois culture, involves the recognition of the rights and integrity of the other's personality, a steadfast mutual support and sensitive sympathy and responsiveness to the other's needs. There is no doubt that with the realization of communist society, love will acquire a transformed and unprecedented aspect. By that time, the sympathetic ties between all members of the new society will have grown and strengthened. Love potential will have increased, and love solidarity will become the lever that competition and self-love were in the bourgeois system. Collectivism of spirit can then defeat individualist self-sufficiency and the cold of inner loneliness from which people in bourgeois culture have attempted to escape through love and marriage will disappear. The many threads bringing men and women into close emotional and intellectual contact will develop and feelings will emerge from the private into the public sphere. Inequality between the sexes and the dependence of women on men will disappear without a trace, leaving only a fading memory of past ages. In the new and collective society, where interpersonal relationships develop against a background of joyful unity and comradeship, 
Eros will occupy an honorable place as an emotional experience multiplying human happiness. What will be the nature of this transformed Eros? Not even the boldest fantasy is capable of providing the answer to this question. But one thing is clear. The stronger the intellectual and emotional bonds of the new humanity, the less the room for love in the present sense of the word. Modern love always sins because it absorbs the thoughts and feelings of loving hearts and isolates the loving pair from the collective. In the future society, such a separation will not only become superfluous, but also psychologically inconceivable. In the new world, the accepted norm of sexual relations will probably be based on free, healthy, and natural attraction, without distortions and excesses, and on transformed eros. But at the present moment, we stand between two cultures. And at this turning point, with the attendant struggles of the two worlds on all fronts, including the ideological one, the proletariat's interests is to do its best to ensure the quickest possible accumulation of sympathetic feelings. In this period, the moral ideal defining relationships is not the unadorned sexual instinct, but the many faceted love experience of love comradeship. In order to answer the demands formulated by the new proletarian morality, these experiences must conform to three basic principles. One, equality in relationships, an end to masculine egoism and the slavish suppression of the female personality. Two, mutual recognition of the rights of the other, of the fact that one does not own the heart and soul of the other, the sense of property encouraged by bourgeois culture. Three, Comradely sensitivity, the ability to learn and understand the inner workings of the loved person. Bourgeois culture demanded this only from the woman. But in proclaiming the rights of winged Eros, the ideal of the working class at the same time subordinates this love to the more powerful emotion of love duty to the collective. However great the love between two members of the collective, the ties binding the two persons to the collective will always take precedence, will be firmer, more complex, and organic. Bourgeois morality demanded all for the loved one. The morality of the proletariat demands all for the collective. But I can hear you objecting, my young friend, that though it may be true that love comradeship will become the ideal of the working class, will this new moral measurement of emotions not place new constraints on sexual relationships? Are we not liberating love from the fetters of bourgeois morality only to enslave it again? Yes, my young friend, you are right. The ideology of the proletariat rejects bourgeois morality in the sphere of love-marriage relations. Nevertheless, it inevitably develops its own class morality, its own rules of behavior, which correspond more closely to the tasks of the working class and educate the emotions in a certain direction. In this way, it could be said that feelings are again in chains. The proletariat would undoubtedly clip the wings of bourgeois culture. But it would be short-sighted to regret this process, since the new class is capable of developing new facets of emotion which possess unprecedented beauty, strength, and radiance. As the cultural and economic base of humanity changes, so will love be transformed. The blind, all-embracing, demanding passions will weaken. The sense of property, the egotistical desire to bind the partner to one forever, the complacency of the man and the self-renunciation of the woman will disappear. 
At the same time, the valuable aspects and elements of love will develop. Respect for the right of the other personality will increase, and a mutual sensitivity will be learned. Men and women will strive to express their love not only in kisses and embraces, but in joint creativity and activity. The task of proletarian ideology is not to drive Eros from social life, but to rearm him according to the new social formation and to educate sexual relationships in the spirit of the great new psychological force of comradely solidarity. So that was Alexandra Kollontai's Make Way for Winged Eros, a letter to working youth written in 1923. And I'm just going to take a moment or two to kind of unpack that last section very quickly, and then I will return to this with a more robust discussion of the essay as a whole in the next episode. But clearly, this is a pretty controversial piece because what she's saying is that our idea of love, the idea that it exists between two, per- two people, a man and a woman, in a particular economic relationship of dependency for the woman onto the man, but also... This idea of owning one's partner as a piece of property, owning their body, owning their mind, owning their heart and their soul and their entire person, somehow claiming that your partner needs to be everything for you, is actually a function of bourgeois relationships. It actually works to support the accumulation and intergenerational transfer of capital. What I really like about this last section, although obviously, you know, it's written in a very conservative way, she's actually quite opposed to promiscuity, and so therefore she tries to harness the power of love and sexuality to a very strict political program, in her view, that of socialism. But what she touches upon here is the idea that people are very lonely in a capitalist society. People feel very isolated and alienated from each other. And they seek to deal with this feeling of alienation and loneliness by finding love in a pair uh, relationship. So basically finding another person that will basically be responsible for making you feel not lonely, making you feel loved and included and desired. And what Kollontai is asserting in this essay is that when you build a socialist society, people will have a much wider array of affective bonds with people in society, with other members of the collective. And you'll have more friendships, you'll have a better relationship possibly with your family members, with your colleagues, and you will feel less lonely. You will feel more part of a community. And because you feel more a part of a community, therefore you desire less, you demand less from your intimate partner, from your significant other, which makes a whole lot of sense if you think about it. I mean, our societies have become so incredibly atomized And if we look at the reports that have been done in the last couple of years around the issue of loneliness, advanced capitalist countries like the United States and Great Britain are suffering from an epidemic of loneliness. We actually have very good survey data now to show that, in fact, millennials and Generation Z, the younger people who have all this social media, actually report the highest levels of loneliness and feelings of isolation. And so I'm going to spend a lot more time in the next episode kind of dealing with the really key points, especially her three principles of why socialist relationships need to be based on the equality of the sexes in particular. But I just want to pause here and say that 
it is a tricky article, uh, especially to read it almost a hundred years after it was written. And you have to think that, you know, human emotions like jealousy, you know, she's not really talking about jealousy here, but obviously some people feel jealousy very deeply. I think that Kolontai is suggesting that we will feel less jealousy of our partner's fidelity, whether it's physical or emotional fidelity. We'll feel less jealousy, less possessiveness towards our partners if we live in a society with a broader sense of collective and sociality where we're getting validation and we feel part of a community than if we focus all of our efforts on just cultivating one primary relationship with a significant other. In some ways, it's very intuitive, and I think it deserves a lot of discussion. With that being said, I will sign off from this episode for now. This is AK-47, and I hope that you will stick around for our discussion in the next episode. Bye-bye.